right, and welcome to Tape Heads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Tape Heads is the podcast where we select a VHS tape from either my collection... My collection. My collection. Either my collection or Lindsay's collection. We watch it, and then we talk about it. We have a real classic for you guys today. We got a quacker at there. A real quacker for you. We I'm got so the sorry. <laughs> We got the 1992 kids sports comedy The Mighty Ducks, a very important film for kids of our generation, I would say. Mhm. Uh, this film and its sequels, I feel like we're sort of a VHS staple. For whatever reason, I feel like I actually know uh, D2, The Mighty Ducks, the one where they are on Team yeah. USA a lot better than this one. This is probably like another uh, Ninja Turtles scenario where we watch the sequels more often. And listeners, if you were uh, wondering if we were waiting so long before posting this episode, if we'd uh, dared to watch D2 and D3... The answer is sadly no. We only watched the original Mighty Ducks well, for the purposes of this episode. Also because we don't have D2 and D3 on VHS. Yeah, they're all on Hulu, I mean, which is so frustrating. I wish we had them all on yeah. tape. but we, we pulled it up on Hulu and looked and it's beautiful, but it's too beautiful for this podcast. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of curious how D2 started, so we watched a little bit of that you know, opening, uh, there's a really dramatic sequence in which, uh, old Emilio Estevez, or excuse me, uh, Gordon Bombay, uh, suffers an injury early on in his, uh, potential NHL career. Yeah. It, and there's sort of like a chase around... Around the park. Just don't let these kids on rollerblades is essentially it, because they're gonna terrorize entire communities. And speaking of D2, the Mighty Ducks... Weird title, by the way. I guess they were trying to cash in on T2, Terminator 2? Maybe, and then I think it's like, they did D2 because it sounded cool, and then they realized the people won't know what the D stands for. So they just have the name of the first movie <laughs> as a subtitle. Put, to make sure that you know what you're getting into. It's a real Rambo First Blood Part 2 sort of thing going on. But um, <laughs> that, that was the only uh, trailer that we got on this tape, unfortunately. I was... I was thinking, part of my plan was by picking a kid's movie, I thought I'd really rack up some trailers yeah. in our ongoing trailer wars. We were debating whether or not this was the first kid's sports movie we've done on the podcast, and Sean made the point that maybe Surf Ninjas counts. <laughs> I mean, Major Leagues is a sports movie. And it's I, a sports movie. And I like that the both sports movies we did are from the Estevez slash Sheen family. Yes, yes, as they should be. What did Martin Sheen ever play? Uh, did he was he ever in an inspirational sports movie? He had to have, or been. maybe not an inspirational sports movie, but a uh, wisecracking sports movie. He had to have been. He I guess we do like have the would... internet. We can look this up here. He seems like he would make a great coach. You know, I mean, oh yeah, like his son. I mean, he could have almost played uh, the Hawks coach in this film, you know, like yeah. the, uh, I mean, there's kind of a father-son sort of relationship between those two, because to set this up, the Hawks, this formidable peewee hockey team, Emilio Estevez as a kid played for them the same year that his father passes away. It all comes down to, in the championship game, this penalty shot, he just barely misses, he lets the team down. This is like the only year that the Hawks did not win. They, they didn't go all the way. So this has haunted him. We're led to believe that this one incident, uh, this hockey game when he was a child, has led him to become this asshole lawyer 
who's ha- such an alcoholic that his names are for gin. Yeah, yeah. Gordon and Bombay. Yeah, that's a, I I didn't notice that when, on my first watch of this, but that's a a great pickup. Entirely consumed with winning, he has no real personal life. He's wrapped up in his work and winning cases. And uh, wouldn't you know it, he drives drunk, he gets a DUI, which is kind of a funny setup for a kid's sports movie. Yeah, it's kind of weird, because they're establishing that he's a complete egotistical asshole, and he's driving drunk, so he doesn't care if he accidentally murders someone. I mean, it's good screenwriting in the sense that he's got nowhere to go but up from here. It's That's setting true. up a good character arc here. But he wins you, like, he, he does a switch and wins you over very quickly considering how low his character was. I like him throughout the movie just because I'm a big Emilio <laughs> Estevez fan. Uh, from this, but also Repo Man is one of my favorite movies and The Breakfast Club, of course. I would like to break into this for a second to say that Martin Sheen has been in a sports movie. Which one is that? Called The Break from 1995. Oh, that's right in VHS era. Is his character named Coach? (laughs) No, his character name is Gil Robbins, and it's a tennis movie. Oh, this is perfect. We got baseball, hockey, and tennis. Which, can I also say, The Mighty Ducks is the entirety of my knowledge about hockey in my life. (laughs) I've never been a hockey fan either. I'm kind of in the same boat. I mean, I hear about the Sharks either doing well or doing poorly just because I live in the Bay Area. But other than that, I've never been a hockey person. But that that doesn't affect my enjoyment of this movie. Um, I mean, I might be... I I think that they do a pretty good job of not being too, Mm -hmm. you know, inside baseball. Or inside hockey, rather. I wonder how it plays with the actual hardcore hockey fans. Oh, I'm sure that they're... I mean, when you get into the second movie, you're not allowed to lasso people (laughs) on the ice as our our cowboy character that's introduced in the second film shows. I mean, there's not a whole lot to talk about plot-wise. I mean, he's sentenced to community service, 500 hours, I believe. Can I also just bring up this thing? So he goes to start his community service to meet all these poor kids, lower-income community, and he takes a limo, and he has a private driver, and it's like, when he was drunk, why didn't he call up his private driver? Because he's just such an asshole. <laughs> he's such an asshole. <laughs> this movie wants you to know what an asshole Emilio Estevez is. Also, like, it also introduced the kids with adult violence against them, if you think about it. Because a few of the kids, they're trying to set a setup that these kids are kind of troubled and they're pranksters, but they're lovable pranksters. Mm-hmm. They trick a dog into eating chili to make it instantly poop, because that's how that works. <laughs> They put the poop into a purse and have a dollar hanging out of it. And there's a guy in his 30s probably that picks it up. And he gets mad at the kids because it has poop in it. And he didn't actually end up being able to rob a woman of whatever she had left in her purse. He does this madcap dash after the kids. And it's like they speed it up to make it seem really silly. But it's actually really kind of scary if you think about it. And both sides of this are kind of in a moral gray area here. I mean... They sort of see themselves as, you know, enacting vigilante justice by putting this dog shit in a purse. He deserves what he gets, I think is what uh, Peter says. Isn't that entrapment? Yeah, it's totally (laughs) entrapment. These kids are not above the law. None of these kids are are good kids. I mean, they they have good hearts, but like they're they're all kind of rough around the edges. Except for Joshua Jackson, our sweet white boy that needs a daddy. 
Oh, Charlie Conway. Little Charlie Conway. Should we go through the roster here of these lovable misfits? The, okay, so the problem that I have is, like, I can kind of remember their faces, but the film doesn't really care to give you too much about these kids. Like, they don't actually develop many of them. Yeah, you know, that's different than my memory. Again, I think I'm conflating memories of the second and maybe even third movies. I think but... they became actual realized people and more developed characters in the sequels maybe yeah i mean the first one i'm sure is the best one of these movies but i feel like because all the real groundwork is laid in this one they can do a little more character stuff in the later movies is yeah, kind of what i'm guessing that's true with a little assistance from some uh, internet research here i was able to get their names what i was surprised is some of these characters are supposed to be related i did not pick up on this at all oh wait really but yeah like some of them are brothers i did not pick up on this i thought they were all just kids that didn't have a familial connection. So before they're the Mighty Ducks, this is the District 5 team. They have, um... <laughs> like the Hunger Games. It's a very Hunger Gamesy sort of thing. <laughs> I wonder if Suzanne Collins they're, they're... was inspired by, uh, well, I mean, she's accused of ripping off Battle Royale, but I think it's, there's a lot of Mighty Ducks in there, too. <laughs> because the Hawks are District 1 all the way. Oh, clearly, yeah. But but we got Peter, who's the, the little angry kid in the leather jacket. And he's kind of baseball cap on backwards, so you know he's he's a uh, he's the boss. Peter, I feel like is just kind of there to to insult uh, Bombay and just kind of deliver wisecracks. I don't remember him actually doing anything of of note on the ice. No, isn't he? No, I guess he's maybe he's not the littlest one because Tommy Duncan, our little redhead, who also was known for being in uh, all that. It's funny how redheads, this movie treats redheads as if they're also, like, a lower class. So there's a lot of classism going on here. So essentially the setup for this team is that it's District 5. They're the poor district in the city, in the area. Because of this, there are a lot of kids of color, redheads, and girls on the team. And then the rich district that they're playing against is all white boys, Just lily white on District 1. One of two redheads on the team, I think. Yeah, there's, there's one really annoying redhead, and then there's Tommy, who doesn't really register much even though he's the kid from pete and pete and all that you got dave who who's kind of like spearheads the whole hilarious dog poop prank oh i forgot that was him see this yeah. is they just don't really stick in my head at all yeah yeah well he didn't get picked up for team usa and d2 you got Tammy, who's one of the, the token girls on the team. Well, I shouldn't say that. I mean, she does contribute. She contributes, but like in the movie, she's the sort of token because the girls don't really have major roles until the sequels. But this is where I was starting to be surprised because she's Tommy's sister. I did what? not pick up on that at all, that they are related. Oh, weird. And we watched this movie twice for the podcast. Well, the second time in pieces, but... Yeah, that was not clear. I don't know. Maybe that's on us for not paying enough attention during this film. You got Terry. Apparently his character just disappears. <laughs> he just in the disappears sequels. after the first one. Although uh, Terry is brothers with Jesse. And Jesse is the kid that gives uh, our lily white rich white boy who joins the team later. 
a bad time because he doesn't trust him to really commit himself to the ducks. Cake eater. That's what they keep calling him. <laughs> it's, because it's, Marie Antoinette said let them eat cakes. So I, I guess cake so. Eater. Is that what cake eater means? It's kind of like, there's a lot of movies around this time, like the early 90s, that kind of just will say something to kind of like make it a thing over and over and over again. I was recently watching the Steven Seagal film, Marked for Death. Where there's all these Jamaican bad guys who keep calling people blood clots. And I've never... I don't think that's a real thing. I think that's just something that they say in that movie. I I feel like Cake Eater is probably a thing that we just don't remember. Yeah, it could be. I, I don't remember hearing that as a kid. I feel like it's only really associated with Mighty Ducks. So the other redhead on the team, you got Lester. And he's the one who impersonates... Rob Schneider all the time. Mm-hmm. Hey, it's the Christmeister. That that whole thing. Well, he kind of just impersonates uh, comedians of the time. Yeah. Which we looked up SNL clips of Rob Schneider doing that bit, and not related to the Mighty Ducks. But well, it, was... it is kind of related because he's doing that bit. Rob Schneider did that bit, and they parodied the Branch Davidians and the the FBI siege on Waco and. Stuff like while that was happening, they did a they did a sort of joke thing before everybody ended up dying because I think at the time they thought it would just blow over. Because there's a couple months that that was going on in '93, I guess. Yeah. The first sketch is the one that we watched where he's just sitting in the copy room and just commenting on everyone that comes in. Hey, yeah. it's the Jewelmeister, but. <laughs> They kept putting him in weirder and weirder situations and until, at the time, they decided, oh, let's put him in the Waco siege, which yeah. in, in hindsight was in horrible taste, but I guess I they really, didn't know how it would turn out. I mean, at the time, I guess they took for granted that it would be fine, but I wonder in hindsight if they ended up really regretting that well, choice. Well, I'm sure they did, because almost 100 people died in that. Yeah. Um, but... I mean, I'm surprised that those clips are so easy to find now. Because yeah, you think some... they would have taken it off. NBC is kind of like that. Like, a lot of the controversial SNL sketches are very difficult to find now. Yeah, and I think it was, like, the... I think I watched the clip through the NBC website, too. Yeah. I think that's what it was pulling from. I mean, I guess good on them for being very open about the controversial stuff that they've done, or the or mistakes that, that they've made. that one case. Like for, I, mean, I feel like they're more worried about stuff that's not funny. Like you, can, like notoriously, I mean, I mentioned Steven Seagal earlier. David Spade and basically I'll, even Lauren Michaels have named Steven Seagal as the worst host that was ever on SNL. Oh wow! Like he was just complete. I mean, this this is kind of an ongoing thing with Steven Seagal is he's just impossible to be around. He probably doesn't have a great sense of humor about himself. But you cannot find his opening monologue anywhere. It's like it never happened. Happened. Oh, weird. And I feel like it's weird that that they are like, oh yeah, just we'll leave that Waco joke we made uh, with Rob Schneider online, but let's not let that terrible Steven Seagal monologue get out. <laughs> and um, this is where it starts to get interesting. We got Greg Goldberg. Greg is the kid that I remember the most oh, from everybody. these movies. And if you look up the Mighty Ducks on Wikipedia, the poster for the movie that they show on the Wikipedia page is the poster with his face, is the only face 
the I mean, there's no nice way to say this. The big fat goalie. Aw, he's the chubby kid. I mean, he he's he's no, grown he's call. grown into his frame. We we looked up Sean Vice, uh, the actor, and he's actually lost a lot of weight. He's lost a ton of weight. He um, does really uncomfortable stand up. Yeah, really adult stand up, like about. Like, going through airport security and... And how he wants people to see him with a uh, hard-on through the <laughs> scanners. I oh, just, like, I'm, I'm going to just say here, you don't want to watch it. Don't look it up. We did it for you. It's oh, bad. I think people are going to look it up now. Oh, man. Uh, it I'm, will definitely I, change I'm your so perception. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad that he's still putting himself out there. You know, a lot of these kids just kind of disappeared. But you know who didn't disappear is uh, Fulton, the big guy. Who? Wait, uh, what did he go on to? So he's uh, this actor who plays Fulton, the 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 big you know slap shotter. He's now the like second male lead on Daredevil, the Netflix oh, show. Oh, wow. and just to give more context about his character, he's like the really scary, intimidating big guy. Yeah, he's used almost as like a psychological weapon against the yeah. other team. He hits the hockey puck and it and it shoots at people like a bullet. Gordon Bombay like has this whole play where they pass him the puck. And everyone else, including the other team's goalie, clears out of the way because they've seen how devastating his slap shot is. But then he passes it to someone with a little more control and uh-huh. they put it in the goal. Cute little Connie. She's the uh, she's in all three movies. And uh, I don't know, what did you think about Connie? I mean, she's another character that just didn't really get developed. Like, she seems fine. In the later films, I guess she develops a, a relationship with Guy or Gee. Gee, I think, is how yeah. we're supposed to say it. He's uh, he's just another one of those kids, you know. He's, I feel like he's not super well developed in this first movie. I mean, most of them aren't. That's that's my, one of my problems with this film, is that they, they introduce all of these kids, and they go to the trouble of introducing them all, but then they don't really tell you too much about them besides Joshua Jackson and Adam Banks. Our superstar rich kid that joins the team. And coincidentally, two white boys. They don't exactly poach him from the other team because he should have been on District 5 to begin with. Yeah, I mean, you said this was... You compared it to gerrymandering. Essentially, they redrew the lines of the district. So where Gordon Bombay formerly lived, which was Hawk territory, became District 5 territory. And I would have so been a kid, duck. <laughs> so I guess that gives him a spiritual connection to the kids somehow. But anyway, the one of the star players for the wealthy kids ends up having to move over to District 5. Gordon, as an adult, meets his old coach... He points out Banks specifically as like, he could go all the way and... Like you didn't. Yeah, like you did He says something really like, he's got more drive or something like that. Like he still clearly hasn't gotten over this thing that happened like what, 20 years ago? Which way to hate on kids. Yeah. I mean, the Hawks literally go, win, win, win before every game. Yeah. It's the team that knows how to have fun out there on the ice. Yeah, but ultimately they still win, so what's the lesson? I mean, there's that's sort of a karate kid <laughs> thing, too, because the whole time Mr. Miyagi is like, uh, you already proved your point, like, when he's injured. <laughs> I mean, really the main kid here, the kid that's best developed is Charlie, 
Uh, Mr. Please Be My Dad. I know. It, little Joshua Jackson was Which, nothing more than for Gordon Bombay to be his dad. Like, it's kind of freaky. Like, he is, like, obsessively trying to hook him up with his mom. And it's funny because it's like Gar- Gordon Bombay also had daddy issues. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of daddy issues going on. So they especially have this, like, tight connection through that. And if not for the sequels, I'd also point to the weird sort of father-son relationship between Emilio Estevez and Hans, who... Yeah, Sean's theory was that Hans wasn't real and only Emilio Estevez could see him, which is a great theory. It really felt like Hans was either a ghost or a figment of his imagination, because if you watch the movie, Hans, who is the magical Scandinavian sports shop owner. He only interacts with Emilio Estevez and pointedly when there's the big shopping spree sequence when Emilio Estevez gets $15,000 from his law firm to uh, sponsor these kids, he's never in the same shot as any of the kids. There's a beam that's hiding him. And there's this one shot that frankly is haunting to me. It's at the end of the the shopping spree sequence where Hans is ringing everything up, and Emilio Estevez is just is, is just staring at him in the background, and his like limo driver is behind him acting like nobody is there. Is that really, or is he watching the kids to see how he is, and how is Hans able to interact with the register? So Stephen Herrick, who directed Three Musketeers, the the great Three Musketeers, the Keepers of their London, Charlie Sheen. You know, I I imagine it was his intent when he he didn't direct the sequels, so maybe the sequels aren't part of this canon. I really feel like Hans was supposed to be a figment of Gordon Bombay's imagination. I don't agree, but it's a nice idea. In the in the text of this first movie, I cannot think of a single moment where he interacts with anyone on screen uh, other than Emilio Estevez. That's it. That's I'm done with my theory. I guess we've been saying that Joshua Jackson is uh, arguably the most famous kid to come from the first movie, but there's someone who pops up in the sequels who might be, I would argue, more famous. Yeah, and there's a little bit of an all-that Nickelodeon presence in the first film, thanks to our sweet little redhead. But the big deal is Kenan Thompson shows up for the last two movies. And he's probably the most successful of all the kids that appeared in any of the Mighty Ducks movies, period. I would think so. I mean, just thinking about how long he stayed in the limelight, from his Nickelodeon days to... Keenan and Kel, all that. He's been on SNL for over a decade now. Like, it's insane. And he gets to lead his own Jeopardy bits. He's a major presence in a lot of skits in each episode. Joshua Jackson did really well, because he went from this, and he did some other films, and then he went on to Dawson's Creek, which went for quite a while. And then he had Fringe, Mm -hmm. and that went for a few seasons. And he was a lead on that. So, I mean, he was also quite successful. Yeah, but I don't know, like, just culturally, I feel like Keenan might might win the, the golden puck here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you showed people, like, random younger people on the street pictures of Joshua Jackson and Keenan Thompson, they're more than likely going to know what you could see Keenan Thompson in. Yeah. Against all odds, they win the big game. And Emilio Estevez, uh, you know, he, through his community service, he's lost his job as a lawyer, and he's decided he's going to go for the majors. 
He's started dating the uh, single mom of his charge. Yeah, Joshua Jackson's master plan to make Emilio Estevez's dad has finally panned out. Except it doesn't, because then right at the beginning of the sequel, he's still calling Emilio Coach. Still just mainly remembering the the beginning of D2, because we just watched it, plus the fact that they get the cool, like jason uniform with like the uh goalie duck mask with the like crossbone so badass that, I, I remember that and i remember the cowboy kid that comes in in the second one i think the most ridiculous thing about the end of the movie is that emilio estevez says you know what this is time for me to pursue my career in hockey even though i still don't play it i've just been coaching it i mean there's cameos by some real nhl players and i guess yeah. they In some very stilted dialogue, they kind of, like, lay a little groundwork in that direction. They're like, you could have gone pro or something like that. It it does kind of stretch the imagination, and I guess that's why they kind of do away with that plot in the opening credits of the second movie. I feel like we're meant to assume that that failed penalty shot when he was a kid was the end of his hockey playing career. One of the things that's just kind of funny to me about this movie, and I guess it's watching it, now and kind of with a worldview that I have now how Disney decided to um render class in the film and the fact that the wealthy kids are pretty much all white and you have the team from the lower income community that's like actually incredibly diverse and it's it's like it's that it's that kind of interesting 90s diversity that's not true diversity because a lot of these kids don't end up having developed characters and stuff the characters that they really pursue are white of the kids anyway on the on the district five team so it's just it's, it is a time capsule but this is not an isolated incident it's continuing all right sean it might be that time do you buy it rent it or tape over it Rewatching it i was not overcome with nostalgia for this particular movie i think that it's a little bit forgettable it's, it's not my favorite of this subgenre you know all these uh 90s kids sports movie i'll give it a a rent it um i enjoyed it i was entertained by it i think emilio estevez doesn't phone it in he gives a fun performance what about you Lindsay? i'm having a hard time i really want to say tape over it because i think it didn't win me over i found gordon bombay troubling (laughs) and i just didn't really kind of buy his transformation at the end of the movie I found the framing with the kids unfortunate and uh, I thought it was a huge bummer that you have all of this kind of interesting cast of characters introduced but nothing's really done with them to the point that maybe I kind of recognize their faces but I don't really remember anything about the characters themselves like they just don't make a huge impression on me which is not really what I was expecting because I kind of remembered this movie being a little different but maybe I'm confusing it with the sequels didn't really sync up with me and I just don't really know if it it kind of had kind of confusing messages too because it's like you don't have to win but ultimately they win and you're celebrating them for winning but then you're just pushing winning anyway like I like I'm not sure that this is a movie that I would say um you know to my kids oh yeah you gotta see this I almost wonder if there was a draft with sort of more of an ending like Rocky where they lose but they sort of have won the moral victory by just proving how far they got yeah. But I feel like kids don't really get that nuance. 
I guess, and it's, you brought up the Karate Kid, and it's like, in the Karate Kid, he ultimately wins. One of the, I can't remember which person on the film, but one of the people working on the film had really pushed hard for uh, the Karate Kid to ultimately lose, because they thought that that was consistent with the message of the film. But the Karate Kid is just better. Like, there's a lot more character development. You really get kind of pulled into the characters. I think it's because they didn't introduce this whole kind of mess of a huge cast. Yeah, I'd argue that the Karate Kid in this subgenre, like kids sports movies of this period that's like the gold standard because it's such a narrow focus it's really just about those two characters Mm -hmm. whereas this yeah i i think i agree with all your points that like the scope is too wide like we don't get to know really any of these kids because there's so many of them so they're all just kind of archetypes but i just lean a little more towards rent it because i feel like overall it works but i definitely hear what you're saying yeah maybe i would feel a little differently if we watched one of the sequels but it's kind of hard to say people of our generation that really love these films they would watch the trilogy over and over and over again and they would get to know these characters through rewatching. Mm-hmm. but i feel like i didn't really have that experience with these these were like rentals when i was growing up <laughs> yeah it just didn't hit me at all and it just doesn't stick with me even though we watched through it twice i just still didn't connect with most of the kids. There is that great scene when he drives his limo out on the ice and all oh the kids God. pile in. Yeah, because that's a great idea. And then, <laughs> and then, you know, Gordon Bombay's reaction is, well, I know the ice, and this is supposed to impress us, but I'm sitting there thinking, you dumbass, you could have just killed a bunch of kids. Yeah. Like, you, what, you're going to glance at the ice out of your tinted limo windows and know that this is safe for you to drive on. I guess he used to skate on it as a kid, maybe. That's absurd. But still, yeah, it's different every year. Like, it makes him clearly a horrible person, whereas, like, I feel like as a kid, we were meant to feel... Oh, man, he's a natural with the ice. He's going to be a great coach. He really does switch from bad to good in that scene with his ghost friend, Hans. I feel like I've gotten harsher in our reviews of movies over the course of this podcast. I was really forgiving for the first while. Yeah. And now I've gotten much less forgiving. All right, well, that wraps up episode 49 of Tapeheads. Whoa. And the enormous episode 50. Not to put any pressure on your pick. Oh my god. The mind-blowing episode 50 is going over to Lindsay's collection. Lindsay, what have you selected? We are going to watch Matilda. Matilda was one of the few kids' movies that my dad really liked to watch with me, actually, which is really unexpected because I got my love of, like, kung fu and action movies and stuff from my dad. And he is not into, like, fantasy or anything too, uh, too soft. But he really loved Matilda. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen that movie. I remember seeing that in theaters uh, with my dad in this theater that was like under renovations. There was a big pile of dirt in front of the screen when we watched it. Uh, and I also remember enjoying the book. But it's been, I don't know, that movie came out in the in the mid-90s, right? It's probably yeah. been like 20 years since I've seen that movie. I'd like to thank Will Price for use of his song, Mandatory Groove. You can find more Will's music at soundcloud.com slash gargantulon. 
To learn more about us and our other episodes, you can check out our website, tapeheadspodcast.com. Um, if you have any questions for us, you can email us at tapeheadspodcast at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear your feedback. Please rate and review on iTunes. That's it for Tapeheads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Until next time. 